Hello and welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I am your host, Anna Rasquat Paz. In each episode of our show, we speak to top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology. Today, we talk to Jane Dutton, Robert L. Kahn, Distinguished University Professor of Business Administration and Psychology at the Stephen M. Ross School of Business of the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. Dr. Dutton is a founder and a leader in positive organizational scholarship, which includes positive organizational psychology and positive organizational sociology. She wrote over 100 articles and book chapters and worked on a dozen books. Among the many honors she received during her career, Dr. Dutton won the Distinguished Scholar Award for the Organization and Management Theory Division in 2001. In 2012, she received from the Academy of Management both the Scholarly Contributions to Management Award and the Distinguished Scholar Award for the Managerial and Organizational Cognition Division. Dr. Dutton, welcome to our show. Thank you, Anna. I'm glad to be here. You wrote an article titled Compassionate Work with your co-authors Christina Workman and Ashley Hardin. It was included in our brand new journal, the Annual Review of Organizational Psychology and Organizational Behavior. So how do you define compassion in this setting? Well, the way we define compassion is slightly different than what the way psychologists typically define it. Psychologists think about compassion as an emotion, whereas we're defining compassion more as a process. And in the particular review that we did, we, we talked about it as an interpersonal process that involves one person noticing another person's suffering, feeling that some kind of empathetic concern, making sense of in that process, and then acting to alleviate the person's suffering. So who should read this article? Who should be interested in this topic, especially in an organizational setting? Well, I think this topic should be of broad interest uh, to organizational scholars, but I think particularly researchers who are interested in interpersonal dynamics and processes in organizations, for example, things like interpersonal helping, social support, perspective taking, uh, interpersonal citizenship behavior, or other kinds of pro-social interpersonal behaviors should be researchers who would be drawn to this topic of compassion. I also think that researchers who are studying occupations or employees who are doing caring in any sort of capacity um, or people who are interested in uh, the cultivation of employee strengths around caring or humaneness would be interested in the topic. Um, since so much of uh, the work on compassion touches on emotion, I think uh, emotion researchers would be interested in this, particularly people who are interested in interpersonal emotions. And finally, uh, the, the uh, review chapter touches a lot on how the organizational context affects interpersonal behaviors. And so I think researchers who are interested in how organizations matter for uh, relational dynamics would be interested in this topic. So how much do we already know about compassionate work and the effects that it has? Well, it's, it's, you can actually look at this sort of two different ways. On one, in one hand, the topic of compassion is timeless in the sense of it's been a part of um, religious and philosophical discussions for hundreds of years. Um, but in the context of organizational studies, organizational researchers, it's, it's relatively new. Um, I think there's 
a lot of research that's that's looked at um, different forms of suffering of employees and other organizational members at work. For example, researchers who've looked at stress or work-family conflict or incivility, um, you know, have have definitely looked at suffering, which is an important part of the compassion process, but they've looked far less at people's heart-based reactions to these sources of suffering. Um, and in addition, I think there um, that people would be very drawn to to the fact that there's a gap in what we know about how the context, um, the personal, the relational, and the organizational context matter um, in, in affecting the compassion process. Um, I think, though, that um, there's a, a, a recent surge in interest uh, in compassion at, at work, and I think there's several reasons why this might be happening. On one hand, um, very exciting work in sort of the fields of neuroscience have shown quite clearly that people are much more uh, other-focused than self-focused. And a lot of our traditional theories in psychology, in economics, and in organizational studies have sort of seen self-interest uh, be prominent. But now that we're seeing that um, human behavior is, uh, is driven as much by other interests as self-interest, topics like compassion, I think, become center stage. Um, in addition, I think that the, the um, interest in compassionate work comes is consistent with the relational turn that's happening in organizational studies where there's more and more interest in interpersonal processes and how social interaction matters at work. Finally, I think that the interest in, um, in sort of positive perspectives in psychology and in organization studies fuel an interest in compassion um, as an example of a, a, a really important positive interpersonal process. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of compassionate work. Why does this matter so much? Why should people pay attention to this, organizations specifically? Oh, I think there's lots of reasons um, uh, to, that, that people should uh, care about this and, and um, that as organizational researchers we should care about it. Um, at the individual level, um, the research suggests that compassion matters both for the compassion provider or which in the chapter we refer to that person as the focal actor. It matters for the sufferer or the person who's been the recipient of the compassion, and it also matters for people who witness uh, compassionate acts in organizations. So, for example, for the compassion uh, provider, um, it uh, research suggests that it increases uh, people's positive feelings about the impact that they can have on other people, um, it helps people, people who provide compassion actually um, change how they come to see themselves. So if people are being compassionate at work, they start to see themselves as more virtuous or having desirable um, characteristics like being caring, being humane, um, and therefore um, sort of being compassionate at work can be an important source of character development or pro-social identity in organizations. And some research suggested that, suggests that, compassion, that people who are compassion providers um, can, are seen by others as more intelligent and have more promise for being a leader. However, that's just part of why we should care, why I think compassion at work is important. Um, 
it's also important because of the direct effects that compassion from another person has on the person who's actually suffering. So, uh, you know, a basic finding is that compassion heals. So people who receive compassion from others um, experience, tend to experience emotional and instrumental um, support, which helps them with their suffering, but they're also experience this, this caring or compassion as um, an affirmation that they are a person of value and worth. So it helps um, uh, that person resume a sense of normalcy and fosters their resilience. Um, compassion can also increase positive emotions, such as a sufferer feeling gratitude, and decrease negative emotions, such as anxiety, which helps to explain why the receipt of compassion is restorative for people. Um, it, re um, it tends to, again, help people get back onto their feet and recover and move on from any kind of setbacks. Um, finally, for the sufferer, um, if you are the research suggests if you are a recipient of compassion from another person, it tends to build your commitment and loyalty to that per compassion provider, as well as strengthen your attachment and loyalty to the organization in which the compassion takes place. Um, finally, for as I suggested, um, compassion doesn't just happen in a vacuum. These kinds of interpersonal processes are often um, witnessed or seen or, or heard about by others. And the research suggests that uh, compassion fosters a sense of pride in people um, who witness it, as well as a sense of, of elevation, which uh, tends to promote even more pro-social behavior. So people who witness compassion actions are actually more helpful and pro-social towards others. And finally, witnessing compassion reduces other negative interpersonal behaviors, such as um, research suggests that it might uh, reduce people's uh, tendency to um, act in a punitive way towards another person. So this probably means this has tangible results for the organization itself, right? Let's look at the causes of suffering at work and how it impacts organizations. Um, well, there's... Lots of, I mean, the, the sad news um, is that there are so many different causes of suffering at work. Some happen just because people are people and they have lives outside of work and circumstances in their personal lives spill into the workplace. So, for example, if people have um, a sense of loss or stress or grief uh, from damaged relationships, that they have in their in their home place or illnesses or deaths from loved ones or financial difficulties. Those are just ex some examples. When they come into the workplace, they're obviously, you know, um, that, that form of suffering hinders their capacity to be present. It oftentimes um, causes uh, stress and other kinds of responses that makes people uh, less engaged and less productive at work. Um, so, so one of the reasons uh, that uh, suffering is important to consider is that is that work sites become um, sites in which people bring in these um, this personal pain into the workplace. But also, uh, work itself can be a cause of suffering. So, especially in today's work world, where people are actually doing more for less, they're asked to do more for less. They're often in conditions of job overload. 
Um, there are so many job changes and organizational ha changes happening. There often is an experience of um, job ambiguity and sometimes a sense that work is meaningless. Uh, the rise in the level of interpersonal conflict and incivility at work um, also cause it, are examples of uh, work-based suffering. And again, all of these conditions put people in a less than optimal state in terms of being able to, uh, to work well, to work hard, um, to work intelligently, and to work with other people. So suffering can really uh, be a state that that puts people in a um, in a in a de depleted state of being that makes them a less than less than they would normally be in terms of effectiveness. So let's talk a little bit about possible tangible results for organizations in promoting compassion. What can we look at? What are the aspects that you think compassion could affect in a positive way? Oh, and I wish we knew more. I wish we had more objective evidence of this, but theoretically. Um, having more compassion at work should affect directly rates of absenteeism, rates of turnover, levels of engagement at work, and directly impact um, health care costs incurred by an organization. So I, I think, again, we'll talk about this later when we talk about future research. There are kind of bottom line impacts of, um, of more compassion at work that come from the theory of compassion, but there's less direct evidence at this point in time. Okay, so let's take a quick look at how it works, the process of compassion. Um, what triggers it? And then what happens between the compassion provider and the sufferer? Well, the, there are lots of possible, what we call pain triggers that, um, that have an, an, another person experience suffering. So when we talked about all the possible sources of suffering, um, those are beginning to, to, to uh, suggest the range of possible pain trigger, triggers. But if we're looking at the compassion process, um, past the pain trigger, trigger, the first sort of step in the process is someone needs to express the suffering in some way so that the other person, in this case the fo focal actor, can notice or devote attention to that suffering. Once the suffering has been expressed or noticed, um, the focal actor or potential compassion provider feels empathetic concern and attributes meaning or makes sense of that feeling. And depending on how they make sense and depending on how strong uh, that feeling of empathetic concern is, they act to, um, to behave in ways that are going to provide resources or do other kinds of things that um, are intended to alleviate the suffering in some way. And our, in the chapter, we try to treat these different phases in the process um, in uh, sort of individual ways so that people can appreciate uh, the complexity of the process and how it unfolds over time. Let's talk about the characteristics of focal actors. What makes for a strong, compassionate response? Okay, well, I think the research suggests we ought to look at sort of two clusters of characteristics of focal actors. One is individual characteristics of the person, him or herself, and the second is the role that the focal actor is in in their organization or in their profession. So 
So if we look at individual characteristics, there are several that seem to be important in uh, explaining um, whether or not a focal actor will act more compassionately. For example, research suggests that people who have a more secure attachment style tend to act more compassionately, partly because they have more positive working models of support and therefore are more likely to feel empathic concern and respond with greater levels of support. Secondly, the research suggests that people who are more extroverted actually tend to be um, to exhibit more compassionate responses, perhaps because this personality trait is associated with higher levels, levels of sociability and a more communal orientation, which attune people more easily to suffering and prompt them to act with greater compassion. A similar argument might be made for the impact of being a person with greater psychological flexibility. And what researchers, um, the way they define psychological flexibility is the ability that a person has to be in the moment and to adapt to momentary circumstances. And therefore, the argument is um, that, a, that a person who is more psychologically flexible will be more attuned to suffering less defensive, and more able to control their own emotions, which results in a more compassionate response. Um, research has also focused on uh, socioeconomic status as an important individual variable. And the research suggests that a if a person is from a lower socioeconomic status, they tend to be more compassionate, partly because people with this kind of background tend to be sufferers as more distressed and they feel greater levels of empathic concern. Finally, um, in terms of variables around individual differences, there is some research that suggests that the level of knowledge that a focal actor, as, actor has about the kind of suffer, suffering that someone is experiencing is related to higher levels of compassion. So for example, someone who has um, been divorced or who has lost their parents is going to be more compassionate towards a person who ha is suffering from those kinds of circumstances, partly because they feel more empathy and they, um, they know what it's like, literally, to be in that situation. The research around the focal actor, especially when we're talking about compassionate work, also suggests, though, that the role that the compassion, uh, the focal actor is in um, could increase or dampen uh, a person's compassionate response. For example, research suggests that if people are in roles that are more professionalized, where emotional displays are considered um, unprofessional and a sign of someone's incompetence, then, then in those kinds of roles, people are likely to be uh, more limited in their level of compassionate responding. Also, if a role is highly um, uh, demanding emotionally and cognitively, this can also diminish the level of emotional and attentional resources that an individual has to devote to a person who is suffering at work. Okay. How does a relationship between a focal actor and a sufferer affect the compassionate response? Yeah, we were very excited, actually, to um, to uncover. There's actually quite a bit of research on, on the effects of a relationship between a focal actor and a sufferer. And the research has considered three different aspects of the relationship between a sufferer and the focal actor to be predictive of the, the level and type of compassionate responding. So research suggests that the degree of similarity between the two people matters. 
And a typical finding is that the greater the degree of perceived similarity between a focal actor and a sufferer, the greater the level of compassionate responding as a potential compassion provider feels higher levels of empathic concern for the sufferer. Beyond degree of similarity, research also looks at the closeness of, a, of um, two people in a relationship and suggests that the level of compassionate um, responding is affected by how close or distant a person believes one is to the other person. And the research suggests that um, this sense of closeness can be gauged by uh, level of felt intimacy, familiarity, or proximity a person perceives him or herself to be to another person. So not surprisingly, the research suggests that focal actors with greater levels of closeness to a sufferer respond more compassionately because they feel more obligated to respond, what a sociologist called, uh, Candace Clark has called, they have basically a wider sympathy margin. Um, other research has suggested that greater co closeness translates into more compassion because people feel they know a person better and in some sense are, are more emotionally connected. Finally, the, another aspect of the relationship between focal actor and sufferer that seems important for compassionate response revolves around the idea of social power. Um, most research on the effects of relationship um, on compassion has focused on the social power of the focal actor, which is defined as one person's level of influence over another person's outcomes. And the findings are mixed. On the one hand, higher social power may inhibit people's expression of suffering as they do not want to seem weak. Um, at the same time, some studies suggest that people of higher power are less inclined to adopt other people's perspectives, which d diminishes empathic concerns and the level of compassionate action. Uh, greater social power in some research has also been associated with greater empathic accuracy which would suggest that people with greater levels of social power might be able to be to more accurately feel the suffering of another and to respond accordingly. So the results around so the effects of social power are, are um, kind of a mixed bag. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about how an organization can help promote compassion. More specifically, let's talk about culture. How can culture help promote um, compassionate exchanges at work? Yeah, the, um, the the research on the effects of culture are really interesting. Um, I mean, the punchline is that culture really matters and whether or not compassion, compassionate is, um, is uh, results, partly because culture shapes whether or not even pain or suffering can be expressed in the first place. So let's just begin with the idea of shared values, which is a really important part of culture. Shared values capture what people in the organization believe is significant or um, important, and the research to date suggests that um, that in organizational cultures where people share the value um, that the whole person matters or share the value that caring is something important, um, it's no surprise that in those types of organizations there's more compassion. Um, another aspect of culture that's um, related but distinct from the idea of shared values is the idea of shared beliefs. And shared beliefs refer to what people in the organization believe to be true. And the research suggests that um, beliefs around whether or not it's okay to put your humanity on display um, shape 
again, the the degree of compassion where sort of not surprisingly, if it is okay, if, if, if people believe that you can fully express who you are at work, that that's associated with higher levels of compassion. Um, and in a similar way, beliefs about the permeability of boundaries between people's personal work lives, where there's high degrees of per- people believe high degrees of permeability um, um, are, are okay. That's associated with um, higher levels of compassion. And um, beliefs about people's motivation also affect the levels of uh, compassion and uh, what's interesting to me is the results suggest if the, if people believe that uh, what drives other people is more um, economic or rationale or instrumental means, then that tends to reduce the level of empathy um, and affects people's uh, judgments about another person's likely professionalism, which reduces compassion. Finally, the 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 other aspect of uh, organizational culture, which has been uh, studied in research, concerns norms or patterns of behavior that typify an organization. Norms capture the shared expectations about how one should behave, and it's hinted to, by some of the other research that I've mentioned in my comments. Norms about emotional expression um, are really important in um, making it easy or difficult for people to express uh, suffering in the first place. Um, so, for example, expectations, um, there's been research on, on people dealing with grief, and it's found that, that um, if the norms are that it's not appropriate to express emotion at work, then suffering is not expressed and obviously then not noticed, which affects the level of compassionate action. Culture is important. Culture is, uh, I think of it as this, I think we've thought about it as the soil in which these sort of compassion episodes um, grow, and uh, compassion tends to flourish in cultures uh, which support it by values, by norms, and by beliefs, but it tends to uh, be repressed uh, or not particularly effective when those norms or shared beliefs and values um, reduce the expression of suffering or uh, reduce uh, the human responding. Yeah. So I'm sure this has to be supported by certain practices within an organization. So what would you say are the practices that can facilitate this? Well, there's a lot of practices that that um, probably do matter, and actually a very select few have been studied. So by practices, when we reviewed the literature, we thought about practices as repeated pa- patterns of action that mark an organization. And research to, to date has suggested that at least four types of organizational practices matter for compassion at work. One is um, kind of at the beginning, uh, selection practices an organization has shaped the kinds of people which um, comprise an organization. So in organizations where there is practices which favor the selection of people based on relational skills or relational competencies, again, it would be no surprise that that this tends to be associated with greater levels of compassion. Um, A very different kind of practice um, that researchers have explored are what 
um, have been called employee assistance or employee support practices, or these are routines that um, that allow people to help each other um, uh, on a regular basis. Those tend to be associated with higher levels of compassion. So, for example, uh, one study focused on um, an employee, employee support practice where employees could opt into a program that allowed them to take a dollar out of their weekly pay to be put into a pool that was then allocated to people who uh, were suffering or needed money in, in some particular way. And there was a, there, the results suggest that, that the existence of that and use of that kind of practice tended to be associated with people seeing themselves as more caring people people and that that kind of identity statement was was associated with higher levels of compassion or care. Uh, the third bucket of practices that research suggests is important for compassion are what we've called notification of harm practices. And that is these are practices or routines whereby um, the organization, people in the organization are notified or made aware of someone's circumstances that suggest suffering. So, um, for example, in one organization, um, there was there were notification practices for some employees. In other words, the organization was notified if higher status people in the organization lost a loved one or were in a car accident or basically suffered something that, um, that was obviously painful. But there was no similar notification of harm for people that were at lower ranks of the organization. And again, if we think about compassion as a process where um, noticing is necessary in order for the other parts of, the, of compassion to unfold, um, it's, it's easy to see how these notification of suffering or notification of harm practices matter for, um, for who gets compassion and how much compassion they get. Finally, the, the, the last sort of cluster of practices that researchers have studied are about whether the organization rewards interpersonal helping. And if the organization uh, systematically rewards through either formal rewards like money or, um, or other kinds of symbols or more informally rewards people's helping each other, uh, the research suggests that that tends to till the soil of the organization or change the, the relationships uh, between people in the organization in the direction of fostering more compassion. And, and do, do leaders have a role in this? Oh, yes. I mean, for, especially for something like compassion, leaders' behaviors both symbolically and instrumentally are really important. So the research suggests that uh, leaders model what is appropriate in terms of both um, whether or not it's appropriate to express your own suffering and also whether or not it's appropriate to um, respond to someone else's suffering. And um, they also model the types of response that, that um, the organization should show. Um, they also, the leaders, not only uh, model, role model behaviors um, that are all along the process of compassion, but they also play a role in creating the, the other organizational features that we've argued or that research suggests are important. So leaders obviously play a role in creating the culture. They 
They affect what practices get enacted, and they affect kind of the, the networks or the relational fa uh, fabric of the organization. So leaders are really important for compassion. They both directly and indirect affect, affect compassion at work by what they say and, importantly, by what they do. This, this, this is really, really interesting. So what should researchers try to focus on for the future? What would you say are the areas that need to be explored more thoroughly within compassionate work? Yeah, I, I, I mean, again, yeah, the exciting thing, this is, this is really um, sort of fertile terrain for doing lots of different kinds of research because at this point it's, um, it's a terrain that's not been tilled too extensively. But I think two, I would suggest two areas are particularly important. One is um, more impact studies, so more studies that look more rigorously about the outcomes associated with higher levels of compassion. So, for example, how does compassion at work matter for job attitudes? Um, how does it matter for job performance? How does it matter for health and resilience? Um, and I think that looking at how compassion matters for employees, but also looking at how compassion at work uh, matters for customers and other kinds of stakeholders in the organization would be uh, are really important domains for free future research. The second sort of major cluster for future research besides impact or outcome types of studies is I think we need larger scale comparative studies that allow us to more systematically do research on how aspects of the organization context really matter in shaping the form and level of compassion between people. And I think that I'm particularly um, interested in, I think researchers should be interested um, not only in the proximal impacts of the organizational context on, on, um, on, on the levels of compassion, but also what are the long-term effects um, of this kind of process. So, I don't know, sky's the limit. As far as I'm concerned, um, there's so much good work to be done um, in this important domain of compassion at work. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. For over 80 years, Annual Reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rasquat Paz. Thanks for listening.